0: Good morning, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Alyssa, I'm one of the pastors here at Central City, it's so good to be in worship with you this morning on this Father's Day morning, Joe preached for me on Mother's Day, so now I get to preach for him on Father's Day, just kidding, that's not how it was decided, but it just worked out that way, so it's fun. Um. Today we are continuing in this series called Breath of God. Um, Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 2 and 3 where we see God um, creating the earth um, and the animals and the humans and breathing life into the animals and the humans. Um, Today we're looking at Ezekiel 37 and this is uh, dry bones that that are brought back to life. Next week we'll look at 1 Timothy where scripture is uh, talked about as being God-breathed, and then after that, looking at John 20, when Jesus breathes on his disciples and they receive the Holy Spirit. So that's what's coming up. Um, Today is also Trinity Sunday, so I didn't know if any of you knew that, we celebrate on Trinity Sunday, obviously, the Trinity, the uh, Creator or Father, the Redeemer or the Son, um, and the Sustainer or the Holy Spirit. And Trinity Sunday is always the Sunday right after Pentecost. Where the church was born and and the church received the Holy Spirit. And um, it also marks the end of the Easter season. So the Easter season where we're we're thinking and walking through and living. In this post-resurrection world, this life that can now be redeemed and resurrected, and now we're living into that truth um, after this season. And so today marks the end of that um, kind of time of processing and journeying through that. We don't always celebrate uh, historic church holy days here at Central City, um, but this one, this holy day, when I, when I saw that it was Trinity Sunday, it really stood out to me because of the uh, the text we're reading today. Uh, today we're looking at Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14, and I encourage you, as we walk through the, the passage, I encourage you to think about the way in which the Trinity, the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, is, is throughout this passage this morning. And so if you have your Bible or the Bible app, I encourage you to turn to that now. I'm not going to have the scripture on the screen. It's just not my thing, guys. I'm so sorry. Every week I think about it, and I just can't imagine me doing it all the time. Um, but this is probably, this passage in Ezekiel is probably one of the most uh, well-known passages in the book of Ezekiel. When we think about Ezekiel, I think a lot of people think about this scripture passage, and I, I admit it is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, and I go back to it often, just this idea of dry bones coming back to life. Um, most most Bibles title this section the valley of the dry bones or something like that, so it kind of has this grim undertone, um, and if you knew me, you I I really like detective shows and and cop shows and like this grim, dark thing, and I think it might be because I like this passage as well. But before we get into this passage, though, um, we should know a little bit more about Ezekiel. We're moving it, we're coming in 37 chapters into this book, and we have no idea what is going on with Ezekiel, so this is kind of an autobiographical prophetic book, and so it's in first person. Um, Ezekiel is saying, This is what happened to me. The word of the Lord came to me. This is what I saw. And so we're, we're getting this picture uh, from Ezekiel's perspective um, about what God is doing in the midst of, of these people. Um, but before we look at Ezekiel, we're going to go all the way back to King David because I'm a his- I am was a history major and I just love history. And so I have to use it sometimes. And it's very helpful when reading scripture to know the history and what we're looking at. So we're going to go back to King David. After King David died, we all know King David. He was um, he, uh, the author of a lot of the Psalms. He was the shepherd boy turned king, uh, greatest king in Israel, man after God's own heart, according to the Apostle Paul. And King David would be the model for Israel of this Messiah who was to come. So we, we know more about David than we want to know, but to Israel, he was this model of the Messiah that was to come. But after David died, Israel never had a good king again. Um, they didn't have good luck and for for years, just went through kings um, like it was their job. Eventually, Israel split into two nations. So you had Israel or Samaria in the north, and then you had um, Judah in the south. So you had the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. And along with this lack of leadership, and probably because of their lack of leadership, Israel was known as this weak nation among all the other nations around them in this area. And so in the 8th century BCE, uh, the Assyrians were kind of the, the major player in that region, and so they were at war with the other people around them, taking over smaller nations, um, fighting the larger ones, and they were able to defeat the northern kingdom, Israel or Samaria, and you can read about that with like Amos or Jonah, Hosea, those kind of prophets, Um, but the southern kingdom Judah, it was able to to remain. It, It wasn't defeated during the Assyrians. A couple hundred years later, around the middle of the um, 8th century or or earlier, or later, I mean, B.C.E. always confuses me, sorry. Um, The Assyrians were, they were losing power, but the Babylonians at that time were gaining power. And so then they started doing the same thing that the Assyrians did, taking over smaller nations, fighting the larger ones. And um, now the southern kingdom, Judah, wasn't able to to stay strong. So they weren't able to hold out. They were defeated. And Jerusalem, the, the capital of the southern kingdom, was defeated, pillaged, and all of what Ezekiel says, all of the wealthy people, um, the kings and people in the court and the business owners and the smart people, all of them were taken off into exile, into carried off into Babylon. And so Ezekiel, he lived in um, Jerusalem in the southern kingdom, and he was one that was carried off into exile um, into Babylon. And so this is where we step into the book of Ezekiel. We step in, and Ezekiel is walking along um, a river in Babylon, probably contemplating his people's struggles and all that they're going through in this exile that they're in the midst of. And um, so this book is a book of four visions, uh, the first one is chapter one, we start out with that first vision, and then chapter eight has a vision, chapter 37 that we're going to look out today is a vision, and then the last several chapters is a vision of um, the, the last vision. And so there's these four visions, and then in the midst of those, he also has some prophecies um, that God has given him for some of the nations around Israel, and we can tell the difference between a vision and a prophecy, a vision has the word saw, so like the hand of God came upon me and I saw, or this is what I see, because it's a vision. And then the prophecy is, uh, is just the word of the Lord came to me, and this is what I said. Um, so you can kind of distinguish those and find those in, in the book of Ezekiel. Much like the other prophets of the Hebrew Bible, um, God, through Ezekiel, doesn't have a lot of nice things to say about Israel about their past, their present, their future. Um, For example, in chapter 11, uh, God tells Ezekiel to tell the people, I will execute judgment on you at the borders of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord, for you have not followed my decrees or kept my laws, but have conformed to the standards of the nations around you. So the people of Israel are crying out to God, like, why? Why is this happening, God? Why are we here? And This happens in all of the the books of the prophets. They're they're asking why, and the prophets are typically, including Ezekiel, pointing out that the people of Israel have not obeyed God. They have not lived like the people of God, like they should. And Ezekiel, if you were here last week or listened to the podcast, we talked about how we were created for companionship, and the world moved, humans moved towards consumption. We started being companions, and then through the fall, started... To consume and the people of God, instead of being people of peace and grace and uh, people who create in our four relationships, with Ezekiel, they desired to be like the nations around them. They desired to have um, the war. And at one point in Ezekiel, it says, You wanted the mounted horsemen, you wanted the, the images and um, the, the symbols of war in your nation unlike who you were created to be. So we see the result of moving from companionship to consumption right here in Ezekiel. But even so, even in the midst of of desiring to be like the other nations, of um, wanting the war and all of that that comes with that, even so, every prophet does this. They have hope, right? And that's what we're living in the midst of, that we serve a God of hope. The prophets, including Ezekiel, remind the people that God has not left them, that God has not given up on them, even when, you know, it's like a parent and a child. They frustrate you so much, and yet you still love them. But it requires a shift from the people. They have to start acting like the people of God again, But the good news is that it's not without help. God is the one who's doing the heavy lifting. They don't have to change their hearts, but God is going to give them a new heart and a new spirit. In the same chapter, Ezekiel 11, God says to them, I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. They'll become the people of God again. They'll get rid of the stuff of the other nations. And God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. So it's not without God's help that we can return to being the people of God again. In between chapters 11 and 37, Ezekiel has meetings and speaks about matters of international affairs and Mostly harsh judgments on the other nations about how they're treating Israel. It's almost like God is saying, I can talk bad and do bad things with my people, with my family, but you can't. Like, this is my family. Does anybody else feel that way? Like, I can talk bad about my family, but you're not allowed to? Yeah. This is what Ezekiel is dealing with right here. But when we get to chapter 37, we're going to get there, guys, I promise. Ezekiel has done a lot of talking at this point um, uh, since the last vision that he's had. And now God gives him another vision. At first glance, a devastating vision, um, because here's a picture of a nation meant for peace, that was created for peace, created to be God's people, but who desired war and is now seeing the effects of that war. So we're going to start reading Ezekiel 37, um, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. I can only imagine what Ezekiel is thinking right now, what's going through his mind. He had lived in Jerusalem, the mountain of God, the high holy place, Um, his, as one commentary put it, his hilly homeland with a pleasant climate. And now he is exiled in flat and hot Babylon, and God shows him this vision of a valley, the darkest, the lowest places on earth, full of bones like a war zone. I can only imagine what he's thinking right there. I drove through Dayton this this past Wednesday. Um, I was going to our seminary, and this is a road that I have driven dozens of times, if not more, um, so many times. And I was driving uh, in Trotwood, if any of you know Dayton, and I was just driving along, normal, you know, going on the speed limit, maybe a little over, and all of a sudden, luckily there was no one behind me, but I just found myself braking and I stopped in the middle of the street because I had forgotten that a tornado had just passed through Dayton not even three weeks ago. And this is a road that I had been down so many times, and I just saw the devastation. I mean, even three weeks later, uh, roofs and garages just blown away, trees um, on the ground. Uh, It was similar to looking at pictures of the hurricane in Puerto Rico. Um, That's what kept going through my mind. Um, But even weeks later, just debris all over, even in the road. There was still just debris everywhere. And driving through this, it it took my mind, because I was preparing for this sermon, it took my mind to this valley of dry bones where it just felt like destruction. I've never been in a war zone, so this was the closest that my mind had to this picture of this valley of dry bones where there was just no one around. It looked very apocalyptic. Um, And when we look around and all we see is death and destruction What gives us hope in this passage is that God doesn't shy away from that. Here's this valley of dry bones, death, destruction, lowest places, and God gets up, places his hand on someone, and they walk back and forth through this area. In the midst of chaos and loss, God is walking right there with us in the midst of that. And then God asks us, as he asks Ezekiel, can these bones yet live? Do we have faith? Do we believe in the impossible? Ezekiel describes these bones as very dry, implying that these bones just laying there in the middle of the, the hot valley, not properly buried, that they had been there for a long time. Later, we, we hear that this is the, the whole house of Israel, meaning northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had been exiled for hundreds of years. These bones have been here a very long time. They are dry. They're not just wasting away anymore. They're done. Remember that this is a vision, a metaphor for the life experience of these people. So I'm thinking about my own life. Have I ever felt like for far too long, longer than should be, much like a tornado has swept through? Have I ever felt all dried up, laying in a valley of death with no hope, no vision for the future? And just in those moments when we feel that way, God asks, can these bones live? Ezekiel's response, whether out of despair or cynicism or faith, or maybe a little bit of all three, um, is just enough to thrust him into the work of God in this place. He was willing to give God just a little bit to see what could happen next. Ezekiel says, you alone know. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. This is like a, a, a um, mirroring the creation story that we read last week where God is bringing this life together. God shows us places in our lives like this valley of death and shows us this in our lives and in our world. And yet God invites us and walks with us and gives us the words to be a part of bringing dry bones back together. Ezekiel was able to participate, and I think as God is, has this in his word for us to know as well, that we get to participate in bringing dry bones back together. God didn't need Ezekiel to say any words. We see that in creation where God just spoke and the world was formed, and God spoke and the, the animals and the humans were formed. But God chooses to use this human as his co-creator. And God chooses to use us as co-creators. But as Ezekiel said in the last line of that, it wasn't enough to just assemble the bones and put some flesh on them and put them together. That wasn't enough. Bones without breath. Can you imagine? Bones without breath. His bodies without breath. Maybe you've seen it before. I have Um, a, a child who is seen more than she can process and abused more than she can handle, a beloved child of God who feels ashamed and like he can't be himself because of who he loves, a family who has been living in a shelter for months and have no resources and support, a community that has been shattered by violence and they just can't imagine how they'll recover, these bodies without life, Bones without breath. But in the next section, we see that God lets Ezekiel participate in this as well. Ezekiel 37, 8 through 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. God not only uses Ezekiel to prophesy to these bones, the the other human fragments that are like him, but God lets Ezekiel prophesy to the Spirit of God. In this metaphor, in this vision, God is, is not only showing that new life will come to Israel, but God is teaching us that we have the power to participate and instigate God's work in this world as well. We get to participate in new life, in breath, coming in back to our families, to our communities, to our kids, our coworkers, our world. We get to participate in bringing the Spirit of God right here. Ellie Weissel, uh, Nobel laureate, Holocaust survivor, he observes that this vision, unlike the other three, the other three visions in Ezekiel all have dates attached to them. This one does not have a date, and Ellie says that um, it has no date because every generation needs to hear in its own time that these bones can live again. Every generation needs to hear that these bones can live again. And I would say that each generation needs to hear that God is calling and using us to participate in bringing life back. Sometimes we, and I mean we because I forget this, every single day when I walk into places that I work we go into devastated places around us and we prophesy that the bones can come back together that skin and and flesh and tendons can come and can be placed on the bones we hear the rattling and we feel the ground shake and we think we did it we brought these bones back together new life and we move on but bodies are lifeless without the breath of God we can't stop short of speaking life into these bodies. It's good to bring bones together. It's good to provide resources and to bring families to places where they're safe, but we can't stop short of bringing life into these families. It's good to bring bones together, but if we leave without offering the breath of God, we have left them without life. The first part of this vision is to remind us of creation, right? Like. All of it sounds like creation, that the the bones come and then the flesh and the skin come. The next section of this, verses 11 to 14, um, are more like a salvation oracle to those who have been exiled. So now you've been brought to life, and now with this life, you can be saved. There is hope. Because even though these bones and these bodies, they stand up like a vast army, they're still in exile. They're still not in the promised land. And so God continues verses 11 through 14. He says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. God, just as he heard the people of Israel, he hears us when we say our bones are dried up. And our hope is gone. God hears those around us who feel like they have been cut off from God for whatever reason. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when we cry out to God, God sends that, that one person, that prophet-like person into our life to say, God is here and there is hope. There, it, there will be new life. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost or to put it another way, our hope is perished, it is dead. We are cut off completely. Sometimes we are so overwhelmed by life and destruction and chaos around us that this is all we see. This is all we can say. Our bones are dried up, our hope is dead, we are cut off completely. In words of reassurance, we've all heard them, God won't give you more than you can handle. It's like pouring acid on these bones, right? Right? In the midst of death and destruction, and we hear that and we just feel even worse. But a new vision of life, a new reality, viewed only through God's eyes, breeds hope. Without hope, without vision, the people of Israel are dying, and so through Ezekiel, God prevent, presents a new vision for their future. And not only a new vision, but God is giving a new spirit. And once we have this spirit of God in us, without this spirit of God, the vision is lifeless. But God giving us this new spirit, this vision becomes a reality. Sunday is resurrection day, right? Every Sunday we gather and we celebrate that we serve a resurrected God and that for us, our resurrection will come as well. According to the commentaries, Israel at the time of Ezekiel didn't believe in resurrection. It just wasn't a part of their theology. It was only until closer to Jesus' time that they they found writings and teachings about resurrection. So this vision at the time of Ezekiel would have just been, like, nonsense. Like, that is impossible. It doesn't happen. Um, God restoring the house of Israel is good, but bringing it back to life, recreation, not a part of their thing... But God gives them this new vision, this new reality in which to live. We now, because of the resu- resurrection of Jesus, we believe in this literal resurrection where our bones, our bodies will be raised again to that which we were created to be. The one thing that seems the most impossible out of all of the possible things in the world happens, resurrection. And it happens here with Ezekiel. Death and despair are defeated Hope was restored, and because of one particular resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we as the people of God are no longer cut off from God because of our sin. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why we gather every Sunday, and this is why Christians have gathered every Sunday for over 2,000 years because we celebrate that the resurrection of the dead can and did happen and will happen again. Death is dead, hope is back. And we are together again with God. But we gather every Sunday. This is just my own aside. We gather every Sunday to be reminded of this resurrection because we are such forgetful people. Right? I walk into, I leave the church on on Sunday morning, and I walk into these places of of death and destruction, these valleys of dry bones, and I forget that resurrection is even possible We walk into places in our lives that have no life, no hope, no vision for the future. And we can get caught up in that, and we can forget that we have the breath of God in us. So we're reminded of resurrection here, and we embrace the Holy Spirit once again, and we walk out into these places, and the breath of God is in us. Romans 8 says it this way, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And God has given us this same vision he gives Ezekiel. Like Ellie said, like this is why there's no date because we need to hear this too. God gives us the same vision that dry bones can live again. And we get to go into the world and work with God speaking life into these bones. Maybe you are crying out in despair. All hope is lost. Your life feels like a battlefield with disconnected bones laying on the ground. I want you to take a minute right now and breathe in and out. That breath in your lungs is the breath of God. There is hope. God is with you, and God is making all things new in your life right now. Don't get me wrong, it's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight, but keep breathing. The breath of God is in you. Maybe you feel like Ezekiel, and you feel like God's hand is upon you, guiding you through some valleys, asking you to bring good news, hope, vision to someone who is walking around without life completely cut off. Breathe in and out. That breath in your lungs is the spirit of God which has the power to raise the dead to life. God is going to make all things new with your help. Every time you breathe, use your breath Use your words to bring life to those around you. On the night before Jesus died, he sat with all of his disciples, uh, his closest friends whom he tried to teach how to bring new life, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't work. Some struggled with this, some weren't too sure, but still followed along, and some were a little too eager sometimes. And even though Jesus had already shown them the future, Jesus had given them this vision, this picture of of not only his death and resurrection, but also the coming kingdom of God, the events that that unfolded that night and on the next couple of days were still overwhelming for them, I'm sure. But as they sat down to, to have dinner celebrating the Passover, Jesus knew that the only way they would make it the only way they would survive these next couple of days and the, the days after would be to have him with them. He looked around at his friends and he said, uh, he took the bread that was on the table and he said, this, is my, this bread is my body. It's broken for you. Take and eat. After they ate the bread and finished the rest of the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood spilled out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this. In the ancient world, when, uh, when you ate the body and drank the blood, you obtained the life of that, hopefully, animal. Um, it was just, it was, you know, it's called the lifeblood. When you drank that, you obtained their life. And Jesus, by offering his disciples and offering it to us today, his body and his blood, he is offering us his life, his spirit, his power. And when we receive Jesus, we now have the power and the authority and the relationship with God to bring that life, that spirit, that power, that hope into every other area of our lives. So as as we receive communion this morning, um, I just want you to breathe. Feel the power of God's spirit dwelling within you. And as you take the bread and drink the juice, know that by doing that, God is with you. The strength of his spirit and the power of his spirit are now within you. I'm going to ask our communion servers to come forward, and um, the band is going to take communion first if they want, and then um, and then we'll all go. Communion is for everyone. Um, it's it's gluten free. Just kidding. I don't have gluten free. We can get it if you need it. Okay, it's gluten free. It's gluten free, um, and it's ju- grape juice, and. Um, You don't have to be a member. All all that Jesus, this is Jesus' table, and Jesus offers this to everyone, um, saying that the table is open, and so all that Jesus requires is that you come seeking him. Um, So all are welcome, and uh, the band is going to take it first. And let me pray. God, we come before you, and... um, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these elements of bread and juice. That they might be for us, your body and your blood, broken and shed for us so that we can go out into the world in your power and in your strength, bringing life to those around us. God, we pray as we are in this space together that we might be reminded of those relationships in our lives where we need you in the midst of them. God, we thank you for your life, for your spirit, and we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.